Hello and welcome to An Atheist Reads the Big Book of AA. I'm your host, Josh. I appreciate you joining me as I explore new ways of making recovery more accessible to folks that may struggle with the God aspect of some recovery programs. All are welcome here. The primary purpose of this podcast is to read from the big book through the eyes of an atheist and try to make sense of all the God stuff that's in there. Along the way, I hope to hear and share the stories of others while learning other ways of keeping sober. Hopefully, this results in others learning as well. So I should probably lead with, I'm starting to get the hesitation whether I should continue doing the podcast or whether I should continue, God, even with AA in general. And what this doesn't come from any particular place. I'm just being honest with where I'm at right now. This is pretty typical of me. I start a lot of hobbies. I start a lot of like, you know, plans. I have had and started just an incredible multitude of different hobbies over the course of my life just shit over the course of the last year you know i have right now i have four pcs in my house that are in various stages of finished that i'm going to try to sell thinking i was going to make a couple bucks off of it really just as a way for me to you know learn a little bit about putting computers together and and that whole process and it just kind of came out of nowhere. It was like, oh, I'm going to start doing this. And before that, it was YouTube videos. You know, so it's just before that, it was like cosplay costumes. Before that, it was, you know, tattooing. And there was, you know, getting back into art. And there was screenplay writing. There's always just something, right? And I burned through it after a few months. And then I have a hard time continuing on with it. And the reason why I say all that is because I know this process. I know my routine, you know, right? This thing that I do. Um... And I know that it, the only way I'm ever going to stop it is if I just stop it, you know? So I will be honest at the moment, I don't really feel like making these, but I'm going to anyways. And I'm going to because of, you know, things like receiving an email from somebody who, you know, this podcast has helped them, even though they have long-term sobriety, um, receiving feedback from other people saying that they're getting something out of this, um, that I can't describe how much that means to me, you know? The, the whole purpose of this was to reach people that I hoped would find a different way of looking at all of this and, you know, strengthen their resolve on the way that they're going about things or look at things at a different angle or just not feel alone in the fact that, you know, in AA, they're an atheist or that they're just an atheist and they're not really sure what the hell they're doing or that they just don't know what the hell they're doing. You know, one of the people that reached out to me is religious and has found value in this and... I never went into this thinking that I just had something unique to say that I, you know, I was there was no self-importance when I went into this. It was just knowing that other people are out there that I was hoping I could connect with, that my struggles were shared. And that's what AA is, is the idea that, right, or even recovery in general, the idea that if we do it alone, right, we're, we're just, we're just alone in all this. But once we start opening up and talking to other people, then we start connecting with those people and we start realizing that we have a commonality and that that connection is important and it means a lot and it can help strengthen our own personal journey. And so mentally, while uh, internally my little uh, hobby meter might be running loose or running out, this is more important than just some of the, it's just more important than any of the other hobbies I've really done. You know, doing this keeps is keeping me sober. And having this commitment is really the only commitment I have at the moment. So while I touched on the fact that I'm not even sure if I want to continue with AA and that, that part, I'm going to be honest about, I don't know. I don't know. And I, and it, I don't know if it comes from the same place as like this weird inability to just sort of stick things out. 
you know, with like my hobbies and my jobs and and other things in my life uh, or not. Um, But here's what I know. Throughout my life, while I've continually kind of pendulum swinged back and forth between different things that are interesting and I get super hyper fixated on it, I've not done anything to really change that. The few times that I have have resulted in some amazing things. Like I worked out really, really hard for a couple years, three years almost, two and a half, something like that. And I got in really good shape. So there's, you know, there's results when I do these things. For a time, you know, my art was was what kept me sane during my stay in prison. And it kept me alive and it kept me safe. And even when I didn't want to draw, I still drew. And even when I didn't want to write, there were times I still wrote. So I know I can like overcome this sort of internal bullshittery that I have. Uh, but I just, you know, at the motive, at the moment, the motivation is different. You know, I'm glad that I put a couple of these together, kind of giving myself a head start, you know, so that I could, um, I could kind of go through that, whatever that is, that sort of malaise where I kind of like, Oh, I don't feel like doing this thing, you know, because, because I could kind of ride that out. I don't know if I foresaw that or if I just knew that other things were going to come up and that like I was going to get busy and that just life was going to happen or, or, or what the whole deal was. But I'm glad that I, I thought about that enough to know that I was going to need to put a couple of these in the bag just in case. Yeah, I'm really happy that I did that. I'm really happy that I'm still interested in doing this, even though at the moment it feels kind of forced. But I just want to be clear, it doesn't. it's not a forced feeling because like, I'm not telling myself I have to do this in a sense that I'm overcoming, like, it's not because it's boring. This isn't what happens. Like, I don't get bored of something. I burn out. I go hardcore about things and then I burn out and my hyperfixation chooses another thing. Like, I had to actively talk myself out of buying, out of buying a vinyl cutter because I was going to start just doing vinyl cutting stuff and start selling it online. Like, I just, I'm just all over the place sometimes. So I'm glad that I'm recentering. I'm getting back into this. Uh, and I just kind of wanted to let the folks know that are listening that um, this isn't going anywhere. Uh, I, I plan on continuing this for a long time. At the very least, the very least, uh, in, in to and through the, 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 the normal AA literature. I feel like that, you know, while, uh, you know, it's a, it's a reasonable goal. We're talking six months from now where I'll probably be done with the 12 by 12 and some of the other pamphlets and stuff that I want to go over, you know, like giving myself a short term goal like that is a good idea. In the meantime, I've been a guest on a couple podcasts. I have one coming up where I will get a chance to share my story in speaker meeting uh, fashion. And I really look forward to that. You know, stay stay in touch with my socials because I'll start posting that stuff as soon as that those things go live. And the people that have allowed me to do these things are pretty gracious and they have a lot to offer themselves. Um, so definitely, you know, take a look at my socials. Uh, you can find me at an atheist reads the big book of AA on Facebook. You can find me at Twitter an atheist in AA. You can send me an email at one atheist in AA at gmail.com. If you're interested in just chatting with me, um, you can also reach me on Instagram at atheist underscore in underscore AA. I'm not sure which one of these I'll be posting some of the videos on more than likely all of them. Uh, but you know, that's the best way you can reach me if you have something you want to share with me, or if you just want to see some of these other interviews that'll be happening. And when I start doing, uh, having guests on myself, that's, that's probably will I will post those as well. Um, so moving on, uh, I appreciate y'all listening still. 
those who have continued to carry on. Uh, it's weird. One of my episodes didn't seem like there seems to be a gap and I'm not sure. Well, okay. Probably the reason is it went from we agnostics, which had, you know, the normal kind of, uh, coasting of folks listening. Um, and then the next one was how it works and it just kind of plummeted. So I'm not sure if I lost people after we agnostic, I knew it was going to be kind of a controversial topic, uh, or if there just wasn't any interest in how it works. Either way, if there are folks that are returning and there was a reason that there was no, you know, they're, like maybe they dropped off after we agnostics and come back or whatever the reason is, you know, I'd love your feedback on it. Was we agnostics kind of a hard one to get through? Did I, did I share, you know, something that really just didn't touch right with folks or was, is how it works just not, not a topic that folks really want to listen to because it has so much of the traditional kind of AA stuff in there. I mean, we agnostic, I think would be the harder one for folks to get through. But again, that's based on my own experience, based on what I've heard others say. So if that's different for you, if, if you actually didn't have any issues with we agnostics, um, you know, come, come share that with me. Uh, let me know what you thought. That was, um, for me personally, the harder one of these to do just because it is, it's the hardest one to read. You know, it's, it's hard to hear a program tell me, uh, that my belief system is only valid up until a point and that at some point, just by doing all this stuff, that's going to completely change and alter. And if it doesn't, then I did something wrong. And I know I'm not the only one who really has had that experience. Anyways, moving on, uh, today's stoic reading is going to be from September 28th. And it goes like thus, you hold the trump card. How appropriate that the gods put under our control only the most powerful ability that governs all the rest, the ability to make the right use of external appearances, and that they didn't put anything else under our control. Was this simply because they weren't willing to give us more? I think if it had been possible, they would have given us more, but it was impossible. Epictetus Discourses 1178 for folks that are just joining, I am reading out of a book called The Daily Stoic that is uh, put together by Ryan Holiday and Stephen uh, Hanselman, and it takes a bunch of different readings and quotes and stuff from Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius and Seneca, and then kind of gives their own little feedback on it, and then I usually touch on it as well. Now, what's interesting is that because these are these are such old writings, that of course some of them are going to be you know kind of God based, but Stoics are, t- are typically most Stoics I know are atheist or spiritual, quote unquote, whatever that means, or they're not, you know, they're not hardcore Christians or they don't believe in a lot of metaphysical stuff. Um, and in this case, I feel like even though it's using this God's thing as like a moniker of sorts to kind of describe this entity that provided for the universe, I don't, I don't think that's necessary to really see it as a metaphysical thing. You know, the idea that we are only in control what we put out. That's it. We we don't have any other control over anything is the real message here for me. Um, this is what the book has to say on it. We could look at the upcoming day and despair at all the things we don't control. Other people, our health, the temperature, the outcome of a project once it leaves our hands. Or we could look out at that very same day and rejoice at the one thing we do control, the ability to decide what any event means. This second option offers the ultimate power a true and fair form of control. If you had control over other people, wouldn't other people have control over you? Instead, what you've been granted is the fairest and most usable of trump cards. While you don't control the external events, you retain the ability to decide how you respond to those events. You control what every external event means to you personally. This includes the difficult one in front of you right now. You'll find if you approach it right that this trump card is plenty. 
I'm going to be honest, you can't really get much more fitting than that when it comes to Alcoholics Anonymous, to alcoholism, to just life in general. I mean, let's be realistic. The majority of my problems stem from this idea that I can control the world uh, based on my own needs, right? Like, it's, it's interesting that we as creatures of such intellect get hung up on trying to control things that absolutely are without our power to control, right? And just speaking personally, when I was drinking, I felt a complete lack of control over how my life was going to go, whether I tried or not, so I just simply didn't try. Now, I didn't actually apply myself in a positive way for any real length in time. I kind of touched on that earlier in just this share, right, this this podcast, that I have a tendency to sort of give up before the miracle happens, I guess, um, if you were going to use some terminology from AA. I give up before it gets hard. I give up before failure. I'm a perfectionist, so that means that I'm the, I'm the kind of perfectionist that if I don't have a guarantee of how the outcome is going to be, then I quit before I even get started, really. I don't have a tendency of doing things for very long because there is a balancing act between doing things well and having them no longer be of value to me, right? It's it's just a weird sort of middle ground that I end up walking. I can't fail if I quit, right? I mean, that's, I guess, what I tell myself. And that all comes from control or a lack of it. I know it does, like deep down. And when it came to my drinking, that's exactly what it was. I could control the fact that I was out of control. It's interesting. I've heard so many people come to AA and they say things like they had a hard time with the idea that they had to admit that there was something else in control of them, that they had to admit that alcohol ran their lives. And more than that, what I hear is they don't want to come to a program where they have to give up this control. They want to be in control. But at the same time, every personally, every time I drank, I was completely 100% giving up control. I, I had no idea what was going to happen any time that I was going to drink. And there was a willfulness to that. Like I knew that that was probably going to be the outcome. Once I got that one or two drinks in me, then it was like it didn't really matter what happened next. It just didn't. I could survive whatever it was that was going to come next. Or at least that's what I told myself. I mean, I'd survived prison. I survived, you know, my my family life before that. There just there was just a lot that I had done and made it through, uh, even if I had drank, that I felt like I was kind of invincible in a way to the outcome of what would happen when I drank. And at the end of the day, I could tell people, well, I was drunk. I had that excuse to fall back on up until it didn't work anymore, and then they went away. And, and in a sense, that was okay too. Like losing people to my drinking or losing people to my shitty behaviors um, was was okay. It was that in a, in a way was kind of my own ability, my own way of controlling the world around me. And, you know, I, I don't let people get very close to me. Uh, there's very few people in my life that I feel like actually know me. And that's by design. It's just how I have always been. And it took a long time for those few people to even get to the point to where I think they know me at least somewhat. There's a few that I think really do. That was based on, you know, my, I controlled the, the environment that that could ex- exist in. But that didn't, that didn't come from me controlling them, these people that I have let in and let close. I don't tell them what to do. I don't manipulate them. I don't lie to them. And these people now know who I truly am because of that result. I was able to control my external. I was able to control the information I gave them. In this sense, meaning I was able to provide them the best version of me and the truest version of these few people. So at the end of the day... The lesson that I've learned from all that is that's the part that I need to focus on controlling. That's the part that needs to be where my 
my obsession line. Like if I if I was previously so obsessed with the idea that I could not control the world around me, so I might as well drink and just let whatever happened happen because the world wasn't doing what I willed it, right? Well, now I need to get obsessed with the idea. I'm not obsessed, but I just need to plug into the idea that I, I can only control who I am and I can only control how I respond to the world around me. That includes who I let into my my, my little inner, inner circle, what information I provide those that are not in my inner circle. And previously, you know, the options were I could choose to be just kind of an asshole. I can choose to be a drunk. I can choose to be, you know, kind of horrible to my my significant others or just not present. You know, I could choose all these things that didn't ever result in anything positive ultimately. Um, or I can choose to respond with kindness, respond with honesty, respond with integrity. And when I do that, in a way, I am controlling my environment because the people that surround me now are positive and influential and and good people, whether I let them into my inner circle or not. This just tends to be the kind of people that are in my immediate vicinity. I have a better work experience because I've done all the things I'm supposed to do, even if that means standing up for myself. You know, the way that I respond to criticisms has changed. Those are the things I can control. That's what I need to focus on. When it comes to the other things, extending this into my hobbies or things like this podcast, I need to just continue to control myself in how I respond to outside things. If I don't feel like some hobby is going to, if I feel like I'm going to fail at something that I need to just fail at it, like I need to, I need to allow the failure to happen, right? I can't control the outcome by not allowing the outcome to even happen. Or, or I mean, I can in some weird way, but hiding from the potential failure before it gets to the chance to be a failure is no way to live. It just really isn't. So hopefully you got something out of that. If you did, let me know. Let me know what kind of things you're struggling to uh, deal with that you feel like you need to control. Like what things can you not allow to just happen? You know, what are you stuck on? Let me know. Um, Send me some messages. Uh, More than happy to hear from folks, uh, even if it's not about this topic or subject, but definitely if you have something to share about this, uh, even, even better. All right, we're getting into uh, some of the better stuff that I like about the book. This, for me, the pre, the last two chapters and now moving forward, uh, for me, have have been really the meat of it. Like, this is really where some of this stuff actually really starts to connect with me on a way that still holds on, even if I'm not constantly reading this stuff. Like, even when I took my break from actively being in AA and I was drinking, there was still some of this stuff floating around that... I knew like if I applied these things, then I, you know, I'd have a better time. I'd meet better people. Things would be better for me. I didn't always practice them properly. And, I, and the more I drank, the worse that things got, etc. But as much of a, a kind of a shitty person I was, like I was still kind in a lot of ways and a lot of, and truthful in a lot of ways, weird ways. I had an integrity. A lot of that came from this, these, these later chapters after we agnostics. A lot of it came from just life lessons that I've learned, of course, and, and things that other people have taught me or taught me not to do. But like this book really had an impact on me, even if I wasn't always living its tenets. So I just feel like I, I'm really glad everybody who is listening is giving this thing a shot because there's just, there just really is so much here. All right, we're getting into it. Uh, this chapter working with others starts on page 89 for folks that are following along or trying to follow along. Uh, I think I have the second edition or third edition of the book. It's the one on my phone. It is simply called AA Big Book. I believe there's a 
Apple version of it. Um, there's definitely an Android version of it. I really like this app. It has the entire book on there. It has a 12 by 12. It's got community links. It's got a forum so you can share your experience and kind of chat with other folks. Uh, but really just being able to have the book in my pocket, I can make notes and highlights and stuff. Uh, has been really helpful. <clears throat> definitely, definitely suggest checking it out. There's even a section in the back of the book, this uh, this app for other podcasts. My podcast isn't on there, but you know, if you are listening to this, then you don't need it to be. Uh, but there are some really, really good ones on there. Um, even if some of them are a little bit more along the traditional godly sense, they still have a lot to offer. So without further ado here, Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. I strongly believe this. I really do. I think this is the absolute backbone of this program. Like, you can't keep it if you can't give it away. I know that's a, a corny ass saying that everybody hears a lot in these meetings and, and you know, the circles of, of AA communities. Uh, but it's true to me. It really is. Um, while this service is specific to helping other alcoholics, you know, anytime somebody's like, I'm really having a hard time. I, my, my self-confidence is really low. Like my, my home life isn't doing great. I can't, I can't seem to refocus. I can't re seem to recenter. My first question is, are you being of service to somebody like are, anybody? It doesn't have to be an AA. Have you, have you done something for somebody else? Have you gotten out of yourself? And I know that seems like an easy thing to kind of say, right? But even if it's small things, even if you just shift that focus off whatever problems you are having and experiencing and just think, how can I help someone else? Just taking a break from the ego and doing a kind thing for somebody or just sometimes helping people isn't necessarily just kindness. Sometimes it's kind of a requirement. Like it just... There's people that without the help of others just can't do the things they need to do. Um, but also, you know, being of service to others could simply mean just checking in on a friend, any friend, one you haven't heard from in a while. And if they have something to talk about, let them talk about it. Like be there as a listener, checking in with your significant other, checking in with just, just be outside yourself. That's what this whole thing for me is. And that's what this meat of the, the like program I keep talking about. This is where for me, it, it really, it really lies. There's a lot of peace, tranquility that comes from just being of service, no matter how minimal it seems to be. Um, there's there's so much, if there was a spirituality, if there was a thing that I would say for me is spiritual, is this ability to do service for other people to help me. Like the fact that that happens internally, just doing kind things for others, just being of service to others helps me that, that if there was a thing that would be almost metaphysical feeling, it's that for me. Back to the reading. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. And again, that's true. That's what brings me back to traditional AA. Secular AA is fantastic, but this sort of feeling it seems to only really happen in traditional AA. And I think a lot of it is just because regular or uh, secular AA doesn't isn't as robust. Like there's in my area, uh, there's one meeting every every day but Wednesday. 
if I if I have that right. Oh, there is a meeting on Wednesday, but it's very very hard to get to a meeting, and it starts before most people get off work, so it's it's very difficult to make two. And that's it. And so it makes for a very small pool of folks to kind of draw from for this sort of fellowship. And while most most people end up in some sort of a home group, they end up in a home group that that kind of is in their area, and it's of the people that like you can you can find a home group, right? That term find a home group for a secular AA for me in Portland, there is only one secular meeting. So I have to kind of go out to traditional meetings if I want to have a different kind of an experience, if I want to meet new people, if I want to see and hear more stories. So yeah, I mean, traditional meetings, is there's an importance there for me. That fellowship exists there for me. And again, I love the folks that I've encountered and met in my secular meetings, but that's just not enough, I guess, is what I'm saying. Perhaps you're not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. You can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. I don't think that's really true. This is a lot easier now that you can just sort of call up the central office or you can call up the local office in your town, uh, the AA, and say that you want to do a 12-step call. Then they'll help you out. They'll usually put you in touch with somebody who does these on a regular basis. I highly recommend somebody, if you've never done a 12-step call, I don't care what kind of recovery that you do, uh, I think you should do one. Um, just to kind of experience what exactly happens and how some folks end up getting sober. If you walked in through the doors on your own, just showed up one day and you're like, I don't feel like drinking. Imagine getting to the point to where you call the number because you, you felt like there was just no hope left and you waited and somebody came and they sat down and they had a conversation with you and then they got you to your first meeting. Like there's, I'm hoping people that I'm listening, that are listening to my podcast have had this experience, have been on the other end of this. I know some people who have gotten sober who their first interaction with AA was somebody showing up at their doorstep at fucking like three o'clock in the morning and just sitting down for a couple hours, pouring some alcohol out and just having a good time making sure they're safe, getting a medical attention if that's required. I don't hear that kind of thing happening in other recovery programs. And so I think that's what makes this one so special to me is that that's an option. You call a number, you're so desperate that you just need somebody to tell you that you're not fucking crazy. You call a number and somebody shows up, you know? That's a that's a pretty impressive thing. And if you have the opportunity to go on a 12-step call, definitely do it uh, at least once. But yeah, just being able just calling up a doctor and saying, hey, you got any drunks? Uh, it's not really a thing that people do anymore. They will only be too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or a reformer. Unfortunately, a lot of prejudice exists. You'll be handicapped if you arouse it. Ministers and doctors are competent, and you can learn much from them if you wish, but it happens that because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. To cooperate, never criticize. To be helpful is our only aim. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. If he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. You can spoil a later opportunity. This advice is given for his family also. You should be patient, realizing they are dealing with a sick person. And this has happened with me. I've had a few people, you know, I, I've mentioned before, I like to go out with friends and just sort of party. I don't party as in that like, I don't drink with them or anything like that. Uh, but I'll stay out late on occasion. It's been a long time since I've done that. But, you know, my purpose was to just show folks that you can have fun without needing alcohol. And that was the truth for me. And as a result of that, a few people had approached me and I'd set up meetings with them later and we talked about alcohol. We just talked about drinking and I could tell they probably had a problem or felt like they did. I mean, obviously they, they 
were at that point of at least wanting to experiment with the idea that maybe they had a problem, you know, I would sit them down and tell them outright, my purpose here isn't to just convince you that you need to quit drinking. All I'm going to do is talk about, I'm going to share my story. I'm going to share what happened and I'm going to share how I got to being sober. That's it. And then we can decide you know, what you want to do with that, you know, and while neither of the people that I talked to ended up going to Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm satisfied knowing that I planted that seed. They know that there's an option. They know that there's some way if they do find themselves in a position where it just gets out of hand, that they can go somewhere. You know, I've planted that seed. I'm fine with that. You know, even if they continue to have a hard time with their alcohol, I did my part. I let them know. And, uh, I represented the program in a way that they approached me like, you know, attraction, not advertising or promotion. Like I don't run around any of these events telling people I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous and I have been sober for this long. I simply just tell people I don't drink and that's it. And that's usually all that it takes. Uh, but on occasion, someone will ask me a few questions and I answer them. Like that's the reason why I'm hoping that if people have an issue with drinking, they'll reach out to me, but it can't come from that, you know, parental you're above they're below lecturing kind of a place only can share your own story see what happens after that. Give them options and then let that be. You know, if they want to continue to meet, then have them meet with you or they want to go to a meeting, link up with them at a meeting. You know, one of my friends, we did go to a few meetings and, you know, he found that it just wasn't for him. That's fine. But that's the being of service. Like you can't force people to drink. You can't control them. You can't make them quit. You know, you can't make your friends quit, your family quit, your significant other. You can't make anybody quit. Uh, all you can do is just share your truth and the best way to do that is to do it from a place of just sharing, just you sharing with them who you are. Basically, I mean, as the reading said, the only thing you can really control is what you put out in the world and try to be patient with them. The hardest part for me was knowing that my friends were suffering and that I couldn't stop them from drinking. Not because I really wanted them to be sober, but just because I didn't want them to suffer anymore. But I can't, right? Control them. So uh, allowing them to, to just exist in their own little sort of bubble. You know, nothing about my friends, my relationship with those friends have changed. Like I don't judge them any different, I don't judge them or look at them any differently just because they don't, they know they need to quit and they aren't like that would be ridiculous. But yeah, so back to the reading. If there is any indication that he wants to stop, have a good talk with the person most interested in him, usually his wife, get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition and his religious leanings. If you need this information to put yourself in his place to see how you would like him to approach you if the tables were turned. So that's not usually my experience. I haven't really been in a position where a significant, no, that's not true. One person did reach out to me in the hopes that I would talk to her boyfriend, but that like if you, this prospect for AA thing, like if you see someone that you know is a drunk, don't go over to his wife and start asking him a bunch of questions. It seems really weird to me. This is probably a different kind of an experience back then when this was written than it would be now. When you go on a 12-step call, you're going to go and you're going to talk to that person. You're not going to meet the wife first. You're not going to meet the boyfriend first or the best friend first. You're just going to meet that person. So be more prepared for that kind of an interaction than for this idea that you're going to get like the inside scoop on him. Sometimes it is wise to wait till he goes on a binge. The family may object to this, but unless he is in a dangerous physical condition, it is better to risk it. Don't deal with him when he is very drunk, unless he is ugly and the family needs your help. Wait for the end of the spree, or at least for a lucid interval. And again, I don't I don't personally think that this is necessary. Now, if you were going to go meet with somebody that is, you know, on the fence about whether or not they want to drink and they decided to drink, like, don't make that a big deal. Let them, but have a boundary. 
let them know, hey, if this gets to the point to where I feel like you're intoxicated, you know, or if I feel uncomfortable, then I'm going to have to cut this short. Uh, but, you know, you're free to have a beer or whatever. I, I don't really care. Like be be comfortable in yourself that you can allow that, because if you make it seem like from where I'm at, if you make it if, if you make it seem like it's just an uncomfortable thing to even be around alcohol, it's just going to turn people off even more. For me, that's just not even the case. And I hope that others uh, feel the same way. Like I would hope that others are at a place where if they're helping someone recover, that they can be in their presence while that person is drinking because it's going to happen. Like if you're if you're doing these kinds of 12 steps where you're going out and you're finding drunks, it's going to happen that they're going to be drink. I, you know, you should feel comfortable enough. And if not, if you don't think that you will be, then bring someone with you. Make sure that you have someone with you that can be your kind of sober buddy. But don't make that be a big deal. Like if you can help it because... Again, like I can only think for myself if I thought that the only way, like if I thought my life was going to revolve around my absolute and utter fear of alcohol to the point to where even seeing somebody else drink was going to be an issue for me, I don't think I would have really been pursuing this as heavily as I was. My my goal in sobriety was to be so secure in my sobriety that being around it didn't matter because I was being true to myself by staying sober, if that makes sense. Then let his family or a friend ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so. If he says yes, then his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered. You should be described to him as one of a fellowship who, as part of their own recovery, try to help others and who will be glad to talk to him if he cares to see you. If he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. Neither should the family hysterically plead with him to do anything, nor should they tell him how much uh, that much about you. They should wait for the end of his next drinking bout. You might place this book where he can see it in the interval. Here, no specific rule can be given. The family must decide these things, but urge them not to be over-anxious, for that might spoil matters. Basically, what it's just explaining is, like, really just teach teach them the ideal that they can't force this person to quit. That while it seems obvious that they should, that it isn't something personal that they're doing to anybody else around them. This is just a thing that they're going through that they need to overcome, and the best way for them to do that is if they can feel like they're doing it on their own. While ridiculous as that might sound, encouraging this is going to be the best course of action. If, if you are in a position where you are speaking with family members or friends of this person, usually the family should not try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. Approach through a doctor or an institution Institution is better bet. And I agree. While the institution thing might not be as as like a thing that happens, it is kind of better if you can meet him one-on-one -on -one without like that intervention thing going on. If your man needs hospitalization, he should have it, but not forcibly unless he is violent. Let the doctor, if he will, tell him he has something in the way of a solution. Now, I will say, if the person that you're working with Let's say you did the 12 step situation where you called up the you know local central office and you're like, I need a, I need a drunk to go, you know, spread the story to. And the person, you know, find you find that that person is interested in quitting, but they explain their situation and it looks like they've been drinking quite a lot. It is it is definitely good that you have them talk to a doctor, like encourage them to talk with a medical professional. It's it can be dangerous for people to quit cold turkey. And while I didn't have any experiences with like withdrawals or anything like that, withdrawals can kill folks and they can do bad things to folks. So if you feel like while you're in that situation that they might be in a position where they're physically dependent on alcohol, then don't do it alone and think that you can just have them go through some cold sweats. Like don't risk that. Have them go to a doctor or go to a rehab facility that can help people medically ease out of and through the uh, physical addiction aspect of this. 
When your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you. Though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. See your man alone, if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to be ought to proceed. If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking uh, career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. So that's basically how it went for me with my with the you know friends that had reached out to me. Some of them I you know the, the, these two people I had only ever known sober. So when I was able to share kind of my past, it was a surprise to them uh, that any of that was even a thing that could have occurred to me or things that I could have done. But I you know I kept it fairly conversational. Like I didn't go super deep into the hard stuff. Uh, but I made it pretty clear that I'd come from somewhere that may be similar to where they are. When I talked about AA, I was very general in describing it. Not because, mainly because, you know, not because I felt like that it would scare them off, but it's, some of it's complicated, man. Some of it's just a lot of big worldly promises that maybe folks don't want to hear. I made it just pretty clear that, I, you know, I go to AA, I do the thing and I, and I got sober and I stay sober and I'm still sober. That's really all you need to share. Like if they want details, offer them to go to a meeting, you know, say, we'll go to a meeting together. You can kind of see what we're dealing with. If they're of the type where they feel like it's a cult, you know, explain to them your experiences that, you know, maybe you felt like it was a cult. And once you went, you realize that it really wasn't, or maybe you still feel like it's a cult, but you realize that there's some value that now that you have that information, know, you know what you can do to, to get the, uh, the parts that are useful to you without, you know, going full kilty, whatever the thing is like, don't overburden them with details. When he sees, you know, all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twists, which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. If he is alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. And what I really like about this part is, well, I mean, we're, few, we're a few pages into it, and at no point is it saying to hit him with the religion, get him, you know, don't, it's not saying anything about getting on your hands and knees and praying. This is just two drunks talking to each other. An atheist and a, and a Catholic can sit down and have this very conversation that they're saying that anybody should have with another alcoholic. Like it's, it's obviously not requirements to be religious or even of the same religion. And this is, this is where for me, a lot of importance of the inclusion aspect of this comes from. Uh, I, I should be able to spread my message and my truth to another alcoholic with that in mind. Like there, that's not the requirement of, the, of any of this, the religious, the sharing of any kind of religion is not a requirement at all. All I have to be able to do is share my experience with, with alcohol and share the fact that I quit. If you are satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Don't, at this stage, refer to this book unless it has he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. 
and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusions. And as an aside, I will absolutely agree with this 100%. I've shared this before. I will say it again. Do not call other people alcoholics. Don't make that decision for anybody. Don't label that person with that. A lot of us don't even choose to call ourselves alcoholics unless it's the intro to a meeting. Um, I personally don't anymore, really. I mean, I guess it depends. It's not a huge problem with me, the whole label thing, but others, it it is. Like, it's very important. Just like the language that you use to talk to yourself, you know, that can play a part. There's a lot of rules that come along with being an alcoholic, and some people don't really want to follow all that. That doesn't mean that they can't stay sober. That doesn't mean that they can't find a home in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, but more importantly, it's just not your job to tell other people that they're alcoholics. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can if he is not too alcoholic, but insist that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of the body and mind which accompany it. Keep his attention focused on, mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, of the traits of the alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he is an alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege might not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious to know how you will get well. I love the prediction aspect of this portion of the book. Like the, the writer is, you know, basically like these, this is how it's going to go. You just tell the story and then they're going to ask this question and you're going to tell them that and then they're going to do this and then they're going to do that. It, I love Bill Wilson a lot, but you can tell that he, even while writing this really struggled with the control aspect of recovery because he was, he was trying to control the, your interaction as a reader as a new prospect of Alcoholics Anonymous yourself, you're trying to control the situation and how these outcomes were going to go when you bring this message to another alcoholic. This isn't always how it goes. I have I have been to a 12-step meeting. Or I've been on a 12-step call and it has it did not go well. It was a, it was a horrible experience. I mean, it was great overall because I did the thing I was supposed to do. Uh, I did it the best of my ability. The person did not want to get sober. Um it ended up like almost turning into a violent altercation and it was kind of a, a just utter chaos. But at the end of it, I stayed sober. The person I went with stayed sober and that person got a dose of what AA could be like, uh, even if the result wasn't what we all intended. And it wasn't like it wasn't anything like what the book is, is describing right now. So if anything, just be prepared for the fire the possibility that this isn't how this is going to go. But also be aware of the fact that even Bill Wilson struggled with this control thing. Let him ask you that question, if you will. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual future freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it empathic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. And again, personally... The spiritual aspect, none of this has to be metaphysical, I will say that constantly, but everybody's going to find that aspect of this that can be a spiritual link for them. For me, it's the going out and giving this program to somebody else and feeling like I am personally satisfied by doing that. Uh, that's my spiritual link to this. And that's a way that you can describe it to other people that are like, I'm not going to believe in God. You can't make me. 
my spirituality is a foreign word to me that I don't like. Whatever the the case may be, like there's other ways that you can frame this that isn't isn't getting people like isn't tricking people into believing God uh, exists or isn't tricking them into some sort of a woo woo thing. Like the reframing can happen where you're staying true to whatever belief you might have and and still applying the tools of the program in a healthy way. When dealing with such a person, you would better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. There is no use arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues, no matter what your own convictions are. Your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. In that case, he is going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. But he will be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work at all. And that's, I guess, a thing to point out to anybody that's like, well, I'm an atheist and and, and I'm a militant atheist and I fucking hate religions and, and etc. There are folks like that in our little circle and I have met them. And that is a good question to ask. Well, how come that's not working for you? Like, maybe he's up on some of that. Possibly. You know, just... Just ask them questions. Be again, don't be a lecturer. That's the thing. Like, you can have people question themselves. Maybe their convictions will remain and they'll stay the same way that they have been and make adjustments in other cases. But just get people to try to hopefully open up about some aspects of this stuff. Um, you might even be the atheist and they might be the religious person. And again, you can simply ask that same question Well, why isn't this working for you already? Like, if your religion. You know, if they're coming from this place of like, well, I believe in God and I'm right and it's, it's, you know, the holy power and, and whatever, like that is a simple question you can ask. Well, how come that's not getting you sober? I mean, it's not even a challenge at that point. Like you could just simply ask that question in the hopes that they can simply answer it. He may be an example of the truth that faith alone is insufficient. To be vital, faith must be accomplished by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. Let him see that you are not there to instruct him in religion. Admit that he probably knows more about it than you do, but call to his attention the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, he could not have applied it or he would not drink. Perhaps your story will help him see where he has failed to practice the very precepts he knows so well. We represent no particular faith or denomination. We are dealing only with general principles common to the most denominations. Outline the program of action, explain, explaining how you made a self-appraisal, how you straightened out your past, and why you are now endeavoring to help uh, to be helpful to him. It is important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part in your own recovery. Actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. For, as an aside, for me, that most of the time has been the case. Back to the reading. Make it plain he is under no obligation to you, that you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Make it clear that he is not under any pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. You should not be offended if he wants to call it off, for he has helped you more than you have helped him. If your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you have perhaps made a friend. Maybe you have disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. 
This is all in the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He will be more likely to follow your suggestions. Now, I don't necessarily believe that that's a requirement. Um, it does help when people are at a certain point of desperation, but this program shouldn't rely on that. Uh, it's my hope that when you do talk to somebody in this, you know, in this sort of sense, it's going to be similar to my own interactions, where it's just somebody that that approaches you because they see that you're leaving living a good life and that you're doing so without alcohol, and they're curious. Like more often than not, that's going to be how these interactions go. Or you'll be working with somebody that's in the meeting and they already kind of got uh, gone over these hurdles in some way. But I mean, either way, the idea that they need to be a certain level of de uh, desperation, I think is kind of archaic. It's not really required. The bar and the, the bottom has been raised up quite a bit and people don't reach that point anymore and aren't required to. Not, not everybody, a lot more people are coming into the program before they reach that point. That's the better way for me to say that. Your candidate may give reasons why he not need follow all of the program. He may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. Do not contradict such views. Tell him once uh, you felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made such pro progress had you not taken action. On your first visit, tell him about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. If he shows interest, lend him your copy of this book. Unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. Give him a chance to think it over. If you do stay, let him steer the conversation in any direction he like. Sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once, and you may be tempted to let him do so. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he is likely to say you rushed him. You'll be the most successful with alcoholics if you do not exhibit any passion for crusade or reform. Never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. Show him how they worked for you. Offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him that if he wants to get well, he will do anything to help. Now, I'm going to say that most of this is true. Like, this is exactly how you should exhibit it. Don't be a crusader. Don't make it seem like you're going out there uh, saving the world. Um, you know, only only share your side of the, the road and, and how things got better for you. And that's it. And don't oversell that. Like I never, when I was talking to my friends previously, like I didn't oversell how wonderful my life was just more manageable and reasonable. And cause that's exactly where my life was. That's, that's where it is now. Like I, I haven't realized all the promises that other people have, you know, I still don't have like the, the house and the brand new car and, and all that other shit. Like none of that's super important to me. So it, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. But, um, you know, my life is much more reasonable now. And that's how I should be explaining that to other people. Like, there's no reason to oversell my happiness to somebody because that's bullshit. And people like us smell others when they bullshit us. So don't bullshit others, especially when you're trying to, you know, convince them that this program has worthwhile meaning in their life. Remember, attraction, not promotion. If he is not interested in your solution, if he expects you to act only as a banker for his financial difficulties or a nurse for his sprees, you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. This he may do after he gets hurt some more. That's that's definitely true. Like, know your boundaries. Very important that you know your boundaries. You do not have any financial obligation to any of these folks. Like, when I first met with my first sponsee, uh, I didn't buy him coffee. We would go out for coffee. Um, when it, it was explained that he had some financial difficulties, then we found a different thing to do. I, I didn't, I didn't like bribe him with, uh, you know, that, that weekly coffee or whatever it was like, we, we just wouldn't, I just don't do that. Now, if they came over to my house as a guest, 
they would receive something, but uh, I'm not trying to um, coerce this interaction out of anybody by giving them treats, you know, or bribes or whatever. While it may seem like a, a small thing over time. Yeah. I mean, if you're out and he forgot his wallet or something like that, that's different. But these initial meetings, you want to make it very clear that this is an amicable thing. They need to be willing to put that effort in and not be looking for some kind of a handout or, or, or abusing the situation. There are people out there that aren't ready to quit and they just think they can work someone over. Be prepared for that and have your boundaries ready. If he is sincerely interested and wants to see you again, ask him to read this book in the interval. After doing that, he must decide for himself whether he wants to go on. He should not be pushed or prodded by you, his wife, or his friends. If he is to find God, the desire must come from within. Now, I don't know about letting somebody read the book all by themselves as a decider for whether or not they are going to want to do the program. Not letting, that's a, that's a bad term. Just I, I wouldn't have made it into the program if somebody was like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. This is the things that I did and I got better and then handed me this book. Probably wouldn't have. Probably wouldn't have been what got me in. Uh, what got me in was somebody bringing me to a meeting, right? The first few times. Uh, we didn't get to the book until a little after that. And I mean, you know, everybody's going to be a little different, but I, I don't know about this whole idea of just handing them the book and being like, cool, man, uh, good luck with that thing. We'll see you next week. If he thinks he can do the job in some other way or prefers some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. And I agree with this. And I wish that meetings would agree with this. And this is, it's in the book. My, right? It tells us in the book if somebody else, if somebody thinks there's a better way of getting sober for them, f fucking high five them and, and, you know, try to keep in touch and maybe hear how it goes. Like, don't this idea that like we're sending people to their doom if they decide to go to smart recovery needs to fucking stop. Like, we need to be encouraging people to find other ways of staying sober. If it isn't AA, it's not one of those like, well, they'll be back. They're going to find out on their own that AA is the only choice. Like that's not the angle that this should be coming from. We have no monopoly on God, this says. We merely have an approach that worked with us. But point out that we alcoholics have much in common and that you would like in any case to be friendly. Let it go with that. And, you know, I, f I feel like this is going to be a fairly, there's another seven pages to go. So while that doesn't seem like a lot, we've read seven, I've read seven pages uh, with a little bit of the chatter in the beginning, et cetera. Uh, this might run a little long. I think this is a really good spot to stop in, in any case. Um, so with that, we're going to end the episode, or at least I'm going to end the reading. Um, again, I really appreciate anybody who, who has reached out so far. That's meant a lot to me. Uh, Knowing that this ha has actually reached ears that, that have found value in it has really made it uh, something that while I talked in the beginning about, you know, having a hard time putting that foot forward on it, those those kinds of messages have really pushed me to continue, you know, and I want this to be something that I do for a long time. So I can I can make the promise I'll, I'll get through the book, get through the 12 by 12, get through some other materials, and uh, we'll just kind of see how it goes organically. But I, I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. And I encourage anybody else listening, reach out, you know, give me some feedback. I've gotten some honest feedback about some stuff, you know, like some of the repeating that I do, um, some of the, uh, the things that I've kept in that, you know, I ramble a little too long, you know, things like that. And I take that to heart. Like I want this to be as uh, enjoyable for everybody who listens to it um, as possible. And I want it to, to seem like something that still comes from the heart as well. So, you know, there won't ever really be a script, but that doesn't mean that I can't keep notes about some of the things that I share. And it doesn't mean that I can't like put a little bit more effort into uh, the front load. 
uh, portion of this. So again, I appreciate everybody listening. You can find me uh, at an atheist reads the big book of AA on Facebook. You can send me an email at one atheist at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at an atheist NAA. Uh, a little on the nose with a lot of this stuff, I know. And you can find me on Instagram at atheist underscore in underscore AA. I really appreciate everybody listening, and I hope to have you back. 